Welcome to the Melinda Eitzen Show. I'm Melinda. Today, we are so fortunate to have with us Dr. Kevin Gilliland. He is in private practice as a mental health professional in the Dallas area. Used to be with Innovation 360, known all over the place in the substance abuse area. I have sent people to Kevin for years and they love me because he did such a great job helping them. Welcome, Kevin. It is so good to be here with you. It's <laughs> not even funny. And yes, we have worked together for years now. Yeah. I, we, don't, we don't need to guess. It's been a while <laughs> and it's been very good. So it's a mutual feeling and respect. Oh, great to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So you were with Innovation 360. The name suggests that you, and you founded that, true? Yes, this is true. So the name suggests that you do something outside the box. The traditional way may not always be the way. Yes, and it's really, it's a little bit tongue in cheek because what we know about the mental health field and our psychological health is we need to think broader. And we have tons of research on it. There's a lot of good medicine out there like physical activity is good for our psychological health and sleep is really critical. So we need to think broader than just, I got to talk to somebody or take medicine, which is kind of like other areas of our healthcare. Mm -hmm. So we need a, a broader approach, creative thinking, think outside the box. Now that seems real innovative, but it's not. It's just based on <laughs> decades of really good research. And whether it's high blood pressure or a little bit of diabetes, your physician said the same thing to you, which is you need to take this medicine, but then you need to do some things that are good for your physical health mm -hmm. and be more physically active, be mindful of your what you're eating or drinking and stress, mm -hmm. which I'm still trying to figure that one out. I think we all are. <laughs> but you go, oh, we think broadly in our physical health. Mm -hmm. Well, when you get into the mental health space, we think really narrow. Go see a therapist and take medicine. And, and those things are fine in the right space, but we got a lot of things in our life that help our psychological health. Would it be right to say your specialty is substance abuse? Yes. Yes, there's, I do have a few decades of research and treatment and work with substance use, abuse, and addiction. So I have sent people to you in my cases, which as you know, often divorce, the divorce realm, or maybe even post-divorce, they're fighting about a kiddo. And the person comes to me and they're, I'm seeing, some indicators that they have a problem. Maybe their spouse kicked them out because of these indicators and they yeah. might be saying to me, I don't have a problem. <laughs> so then I call you and say, hey, can we do a little assessment? Right. And I can almost always talk my client into, let's do a secret assessment. We don't ever have to reveal that we did it. It's for our own benefit. Right. And then determine if this problem exists or not you know, is it a usage problem? Is it an addiction problem? And what might be the recommendation? And that has, you've done a great job of helping mm. people in that realm. Oh, I so appreciate it. And it's, I think the thing that we found so valuable in collaborating is, look, I just need to know what I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. Because when we're going through a stressful event like divorce, or if you have someone in the family dies, or if you went through COVID, th that's all of us. Then you go, oh gosh, I, I used to go to work. Now I'm not. I used to go eat here. Now I'm not. I can't go to my gym. We lost so much. Mm -hmm. In times like that, we're vulnerable to drink more than normal. And so sometimes when a marriage is going a direction where you end up in divorce, 
that's not like a bad weekend. It's been a bad few months yes. or years. Yes, usually years. Years, and, and that means there's an increased risk of how do I get away from this living environment being so upsetting to me? Mm-hmm. And one of the things we often do is drink more than normal. Whatever people's bad habit was, it kind of got amplified by it absolutely COVID. Did. We're either going to drink more, <laughs> eat more, walk less, gamble more, everything. We struggled for mm-hmm. a lot of months because our routine was so disrupted. We couldn't settle anywhere we were. Are um, we still having a ripple effect from COVID even though we're out of it? Absolutely. We're, we're, you know, when you look at researchers talk about it, we are still in the shadows of COVID. Um, the event itself, if you look at how we managed it in the States, was, was roughly 8 to 10 to 12 months long, which is horrendous. And then we started easing back into normal things in life. But still, there are some jobs, there are some companies that are still not back to what they were pre-COVID. We now have some financial concerns because of the economy. You have a lot of young adults that got their first job. Well, you know, what do they say at work? Last in, first out. The last ones hired are the first ones to let go. And I worked with a lot of young adults during COVID that had great jobs, but got let go or had job offers that were let go. You also had people that were, I'm not doing college virtually sitting in a dorm room. I'm going to stay home and do it. So there's been so much lingering challenges and stress that we're still living in the shadows of it. I think we're doing some good things, but we're a long way from being better. So let's say somebody comes in and they do have a drinking problem of some type. Do they go to rehab? Yeah, that's great. It's uh, <laughs> Thank you. That's a great because that's what most people think because that's what we saw in the movies. And you go, well, if you have an addiction and the number one reason that you look at, and we tend to think professionals think about, okay, does someone need to go to residential, is if you cannot stop long enough to start doing some treatment, then we're going to have to remove you from your environment so that we can help you establish some sobriety and sort of hold life at bay. Mm-hmm. So that's one option. Unfortunately, if you're really fair about our field, is we're really good on the extremes. If you need to go to residential, we have those. If you need to see somebody once a week, we've got you covered. But it's that middle ground that that our industry just has done a really poor job of. So what do they do? Uh, (laughs) What does one do? Well, that's why we started Innovation 360, (laughs) because we really, we delivered that middle ground of treatment because not everybody needs to go away. And so what you have to look at is you do have resources in your environment. And so if it is severe or it's that moderate to severe, then you look at 12-step groups are fantastic. Things like Alcoholics and They're free. They're free. And there's a lot of them. There's Celebrate Recovery. There's Rational Recovery. There's a lot of groups. And really what you're looking for is a community. And whether it's stopping drinking or stopping smoking or becoming more physically active, we're more successful when we're around people that are trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And so... That's all you get with that is you get this community that's been successful at doing what you're trying to do. So there's that piece, seeing somebody individually or adding a group. um, And it's hard to find good groups that are more therapy groups that help you deal with the things in life that often get disrupted when an addiction develops. Because when an addiction develops, we let a lot of stuff go, whether it's alcohol or drugs or anything. 
we stop doing things we love, right? Because you've had a drink or two or you used a little bit of pot and friends text you, they're getting together to go do something. You're like, well, not now. I've already kind of started. So I don't want to drink and drive or I don't want to get behind the wheel or, and so we start limiting our social interactions. So you go, okay, well, you need to get plugged back in and reestablish some healthy relationships and activities and groups are a great place to do that and see a physician. If you've been doing that, if you've been using a large amount of substances over a long period of time, check with your doctor, just those, those alcohol and other drugs can really disrupt our system. So you want to make sure you do that in a way that's healthy and safe. Now, when they do the individual work, that means I'm coming to a therapist like you and saying, Hey, what's my problem? Like, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Is that the point that they're trying to get behind the use of why am I drinking? Yeah, it's a great question. If, uh, if you do something, whether it's caffeine, I always talk about caffeine because most people drink coffee. You drink coffee? Uh, I don't, but I drink soda. Okay, that counts. It's still caffeine. It is. Right, and then you go, okay, well, I can have, I can probably have three or four cups of coffee because right now I've been drinking caffeine. Well, six months ago, I stopped drinking coffee. If I would had one cup, I'd be a little jittery. And so you develop this tolerance mm. and you go, okay, well, I'm starting to ask caffeine to do something for me, which is keep me awake. Well, my problem is sleep and I'm asking it to do something for me. And what we're vulnerable to do is to ask alcohol to do something for us. And whenever we do that, we start to get in trouble. Most humans consume alcohol in normal ways at a meal, when they're with friends or at a special occasion. But when I drink every night when I get home because I've got such a stressful job, I'm asking alcohol to do something for me. And so, or it's sleep. I was visiting with somebody, a new patient about two weeks ago. They drink every evening. And I'm like, well, that's an odd time to drink. What are you trying to do? Well, for him it was, I'm trying to get my head to be a little quieter or else I, I can't fall asleep. You go, okay, well, you're asking alcohol to do something for you. And that's when we're at risk of developing an addiction. So as you're sitting and teasing that out, you go, oh, well, now I know why you drink every evening at like eight or nine o'clock. That's an odd time to drink. Mm -hmm. It's not odd for you if you're trying to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. You're asking alcohol to manage a stressful life and improve your sleep. It doesn't do either of those, by the way. So, um, so it's not it's, good at the things not, we're asking it to do. That's exactly right. So you go, okay, there are better ways to solve that problem. If you want to enjoy beer with some friends or a meal, great. Or a margarita, we're in Texas with a meal, fine. But if you're having a margarita at nine o'clock at night so you sleep, fun fact, it disrupts your sleep. You're going to get less sleep. Now you, have, now you have a misperception. Oh, I'm sleeping better. No, when we study sleep after you've had alcohol, you don't get restful sleep. So it actually disrupts it. So when you when I sit down with folks, that's part of what we tease out is, what are you asking alcohol mm -hmm. or pain medications or pot? What are you asking it to do for you? Um, mm -hmm. And that's when we're really vulnerable to develop a problem. So when you have group work, you said it's good to find a good group. Yep. Not all groups are created equal. No, they are not. <laughs> Groups are like a mom and pop restaurant. Your favorite, wherever you're watching this from, if you've got a great mom and pop burger joint, well, there's only one of that shop. Like you can't, it's not a chain. And that's what groups are like. They're like a mom and pop restaurant that you absolutely love. And if you think about it that way, you'll find one you really enjoy. 
And it might have a focus, like only men or yes. only women or only people of a certain age. Are younger people having more problems than they used to? Um, yes. Um, and that's a fair statement. It's not an old person looking at kids today. That's not what I'm saying. Um, part of it is, we have to be fair, they are living in a world that is far more challenging than we faced. Mm -hmm. um, some of that is social media, absolutely. Some of it is the, the competitiveness and the expense of getting into colleges. Uh, we have far more mom and dad with very successful careers. And you go, okay, there are a lot of challenges for young adults that we didn't face. The world is much bigger, much louder, and it's nonstop. Um, and so it is more challenging for them. Past 10 years, we've seen rates, especially of anxiety, which is just excess worry. Mm -hmm. And that's that's almost the, the uh, stress that becomes toxic. It can lead to all I do is worry and I can't fall asleep and my mind won't shut down. That's the single biggest problem we're seeing with young adults today. And COVID hit them harder than any other age group. So I really felt for the college age kids because uh, college is such a fabulous experience in life. Everybody looks fondly on that time and theirs was just ruined. Oh, you know? it, they didn't have it at all. It was wrecked. college on a screen. Forget oh, that. I listen, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd be sitting here if I had to do virtual school. Oh, we don't, oh. we don't all do well on virtual school. Yeah. And most importantly, that time period, and even high school students, it's when you're starting to get a feel for, okay, what are you good at? What do you yes, enjoy? What's yes. your, what are your gifts and talents mm -hmm. that are just God given and you're trying to figure your way in the world? You can't do that sitting in your room by yourself. You can't figure out what do I like? What am I interested in? What, what do I bring to friendships mm -hmm. or to a class or that dynamic learning and growing experience? And they didn't get that. Yeah. And it's that social psychological exploration of the world that that group lost out on mm. and it is it's fortunately they've been back really last year and, mm -hmm. and this year mm -hmm. of some of those same experiences which i would argue is as valuable as any subject you're studying mm -hmm. for that that is the most significant you've done some work on like failure to launch mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that's, and it's not just an American term. That's actually something that we see written about and researched across the world. And it's, it's, it's fairly new, past 15 years. And it's really this young adult that finishes that period of time growing up in the house and then stepping out into the next phase of life. That it can be so overwhelming and emotionally, psychologically, financially, that we're seeing more young adults staying at home because it's easier, safer, more predictable. It's less expensive. Well, yeah, but that may not be good for you. Right. Uh, and right. so it's if, if you're not careful as parents, we'll step in to do things to help them and look up and go, oh my gosh, this is f we're five years down the road. Yes. We, we only did that thinking it would be a summer or mm -hmm. it'd be for a couple of months. And that's what's created a challenge for parents of, I still have to actively parent, even though it's a young adult, because they're struggling to step in, what's that next thing they're gonna do in yes. life? And that's a, that's a big step. It's, and if it's, they live with you, you're witnessing oh, their life, like what you don't know when they don't live with listen, you. <laughs> I don't wanna know. Oh, we do I, not wanna know. No, no, uh, there is, yes. And 
And worse, we start to get hypervigilant. We're watching every little thing. And mm -hmm. well, imagine if someone did that to us. Oh my goodness. Like no. we, if, if my wife did that to me, <laughs> I would be irritated by Friday. Uh, you know, and yeah. you go, okay, well, they're young adults. How do we, and that's the art, and it gets, it's a very challenging phase as parents is to parent young adults because there's more of an art to it. Mm -hmm. I can't just tell them I've been doing that for 20 years. <laughs> so how do I step into that conversation in a way that gets them excited or sees opportunities that they haven't seen yet? So in your private practice, besides substance abuse, which we mm -hmm. talked about, what else do you do or like to do yeah, a to lot, help people with? A lot of the excess worry. Um, it's incredibly treatable. Um, and if you're dealing with a lot of excess worry, you're going to deal with some depression because mm -hmm. if you keep thinking that the worst possible outcome is going to actually happen, eventually that's going to drag your mood down. You're, you're going to start to be like, okay, if, if the worst outcome in my mind is always going to happen, oh, that's awful. That's an awful way to live. Mm -hmm. But that excess worry is it, it impacts our mood. So I, I, I end up working with a lot of anxiety. Do you tell them stop watching the news? Because that's my, oh, that's what I say. <laughs> literally. Don't watch the news. So before I came over, I had a session with somebody that I literally, uh, an older gentleman that is wrestling with excess worry. And it's one of the things I asked. I'm like, okay, well, how often are you on your phone, also known as a computer, and how much are you watching the news? because it has an effect on us and it can have a very disruptive effect on us if we're not careful. Um, that, that without question is an issue. It's funny. I get asked a lot, hey, what do we do about these young teens and their phones and how they're using their phones? I'm like, well, first of all, their parents do a horrible job. We literally have to pass laws so that the people out there on the street aren't, re adults, aren't reading their phone and going 65. So we don't manage it. We well. are not modeling. We are not modeling. But to be fair, in, in our defense, this we're getting used to having phones as well. And if we're not careful, we will do nothing but work 24-7. And so we're having to learn, how. To, hey, when do I need to put my phone down? I don't mind saying because it's just you and I talking. I'm embarrassed to say how many times my wife and I have sat down to watch a, a movie or something at home. And I look up and we're both looking at our phones and I'm like, well, are we wanting to read articles or watch a movie? But why are we doing both? This? Yes. Apparently we're doing both poorly. Yes. And so it's, you just got to be fair. We're learning to do that as well. But nowadays there's such emotionally charged news. Mm -hmm. It's not unbiased like it used to be. Mm -hmm. And we gravitate to a place that if we're not careful, it's gonna be one of the sources that can really disrupt us because there are some very disrupting things going on in the world and we have to manage that well. And we can't control it. So when people tell me, oh my gosh, I'm so upset, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, don't watch the news. They say, how can you say that? They're appalled that I say, don't watch the news. You have to stay informed. I said, you know what? I can control the impact I have right here and now. I can have a pov positive interaction with you. We can help some people know more about mm -hmm. mental health. That's what I can do. But I cannot solve the problems in the Middle East. No, So no. dwelling on them isn't gonna help anything. And if you're not careful, you will, you will, that's user error. If you're not careful, you're going to keep consuming and be, I don't know why people don't want to be around me. Well, cause you're not enjoyable to be around. <laughs> right. 
you're crabby. I mean, you're angry, scared to death. I'm like, look, this is wherever you're living. It manage that well. That is plenty, and it doesn't mean to be ignorant about the news, but be thoughtful about it. I mean, I what I do for a living and what you do for a living is incredibly emotionally demanding and challenging. Mm -hmm. I am very cautious about what I watch and what I consume. I I watch. I get very. Very little news do I get from live TV. I have print that I read. I've got my short list that when I want information, mm -hmm. I, I go to these sources because I can manage it. I can look at it. I can scroll mm -hmm. through it. But gone are the days where you just leave the news on in the background while you're getting ready for dinner. It's going to be the angriest dinner you've had. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you're like, wow, why is dad always angry at dinner? Well, because it's... It's agitating. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have to be mindful of that. It's, it's like um, I was talking with a lady one time about her divorce, going through a divorce. And it's, you know, it is hard to get away from it. Mm -hmm. it it's, you have to work to get away from it like the news. And she said to me, she goes, God, it's all anybody wants to talk about. And I'm like, question, is it all you want to talk about or all they want to talk about? And I said, that's all I want you to think about for the next week. Are you the one bringing this up or is it them? Mm -hmm. And she was, and I, I loved working with her. She was like, okay, if I have to be honest, I brought it up a lot more than they did. And I'm like, okay, I love that. Just be curious and go, what is it that's agitating me? Mm -hmm. And it might actually be my fault a little bit. Okay, well, good. Now you know what problem to solve. That's my test. If a client can have any self-reflection, yes. right? If they can say, oh, maybe I had a part in the failure of my marriage. That's my mental health test. <laughs> it's, that is a great one. You know what? My version of that is, can you be curious? Can you just be curious? I know you think your husband did this for these reasons, or you think that this situation is because, can you just be curious and wonder, okay, well, I wonder what it actually might have been. And it's that same test of, do you have the emotional and mental space to wonder because now you're more concerned about solving the problem than being right. Mm -hmm. And if that's the way you're thinking, you got a chance of making it through this. So a very popular diagnosis, I would say right now, is bipolar. Everybody's yes. bipolar. Is yes. everyone bipolar? Well, you know, here's a, here's a fun fact, <laughs> Melinda. If everybody's bipolar, then no one's bipolar. So. <laughs> If, if that term defines everybody, we've just ruined a good term. Um, fortunately, no, not everybody's bipolar. Um, we track that kind of data. We've been tracking, tracking those diagnoses and data for decades. Um, no, not everybody's bipolar. And not everybody, let's also, not everybody's a narcissist. <laughs> Not everybody's borderline. That's a very popular Those, narcissist. They all come in and tell me he's a narcissist. I'm like, well, we all all kind yeah. of are. If you're if you're a, if you're a male, you're a narcissist. If you're a female, you're borderline. Oh. Which means, okay, well, that's for sure wrong. But. Those are just labels, and I don't even use labels when I'm working with people because none of us like labels. Yeah, I, I, none of us do. It's not an engaging way to have conversations. Mm -hmm. Talk about symptoms and talk about observable behaviors that bother you. And when you do that, people will talk all day. Yeah. But when you throw a label at somebody, you're like, well, okay, well, what's the point in talking to you? You've already decided mm -hmm. all this. And that's, mm -hmm. 
That's not how we solve problems. It doesn't help to put somebody in a defensive posture. No. We're not getting anything that done. That is not, <laughs> no. I guess for certain situations you want to do that, but that is, if you want to learn and grow and figure out problems, you've got to look for questions that are open-ended. Don't ask yes, no questions. Mm -hmm. Ask things like, hey, help me understand, or can you tell me about this, or I'm confused. And use an I statement, right? Yeah, hey, I thought <laughs> this, and I was under the impression that, and that didn't, what happened? Where'd mm -hmm. we miss? Mm -hmm. Well, that's inviting conversation, not, did you, didn't you, I'm like, well, okay, first of all, I don't like the way this is starting. <laughs> right. And how a conversation starts is very predictive of how it'll end. So start out gentler. You have, if you just start out gentler in the conversation, being curious, being open, you will significantly increase your odds of it being successful. Okay, well, that's a handy little skill. We can all develop, <laughs> all of us, even me. Okay, let's go circle back to substance abuse. Yes. If somebody's listening and they're worried about someone in their life, mm -hmm. a family member or somebody at work, what are the red flags that they should, that are indicators that, hey, maybe something needs to happen? Yeah. Um, look for, one of the mistakes people make is to look at frequency and volume. Mm -hmm. um, and we look at frequency and volume in research, but what you really want to look at is a pattern of problematic behavior. So when an addiction develops, it's because someone has used substances in a way and at a frequency that it starts to interfere with work, uh, meaningful family and social relationships, and then in all the other aspects of their life. Kind of like we talked about earlier, they don't work out anymore. They used to run, they used to go play cards, they've quit doing all those things. And so substances for it to develop in that direction of addiction, the first thing you look at is a problematic pattern over years, not a bad weekend or a horrible summer, but this is something that's progressed over years. And, and what you're looking for is a worsening of, and then fill in the blank, mm -hmm. right? Where, where you'll start to see job promotions get passed up, or you see a lot of changes in career, or divorces, or lifelong friends they no longer see. And so, or if they're younger, an impact on their school performance or administrative issues. So those are sort of the broad brushes we look at. Does that make sense? Yeah, what about criminal, like they have a DWI? Yeah, um, everybody wants to hang on to that, but yeah. I've worked with a lot, that's actually, it used to be a symptom in the old manual, it's mm -hmm. no longer a symptom. Oh, that's but, interesting. But where you'll start to see it is that your substance use has led to, um, sort of risky use or potential harm. And you go, well, that definitely fits that quality. Right. But I've also worked with people that have gotten DWIs that have no problem with alcohol. They're coming to see me for something else and haven't had anything to drink in 15 years and never went to treatment. That, that was just bad luck. And then I've worked with people that had horrendous addiction to alcohol, not a single DWI. So, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's a data point you look at, mm -hmm. but there's no aha for making a diagnosis. Um, and, and for people, one of the other things that, that I'll circle back to is I talked about frequency and volume. Mm -hmm. If it progresses to where people are drinking daily, mm -hmm. that tends to be a concern. And, and you wanna know, okay, wh why are you drinking daily or smoking pot daily mm -hmm. or taking pain meds daily when the surgery was two years ago? 
And so that's, that's the frequency. And then the amount. Um, and when you're having, if you're a woman and you're having more than three or four drinks, every drinking occasion, that's a heavy occasion. And for a man, when you're having four or five drinks, that's a heavy occasion. So you want to look at the, the increase in risk and frequency is somewhat connected to, oh, it's going to show up at work or family mm -hmm. or in your social life. I have some cases where the person has, let's say, a drug problem and they know it, but they never do it where it would impact the children. Mm -hmm. Like they just drop out. They go someplace else and go do it. And then I have other cases where, oh my gosh, like dangerous drinking and driving or I had one where they're at the Polo Ralph Lauren store and they just fall down drunk on the floor and the five-year-old's with them. Yeah, yeah. So what's up with that? Like why do some people realize, hey, this is a bad choice, but I'm not gonna endanger my five-year-old. Yeah. And some people have yeah. no separation. Yeah, it's, okay, that's a fantastic question that really, uh, Stay with me, folks. I'll try not to bore you. We only have like two one, minutes. One of the hallmark... Okay, so then you get the short version. The hallmark classic symptom of an addiction is loss of control. That's the Ralph Lauren store. There are some people that will, will stop at problematic use that doesn't spill into legally or with the kids or at work, but the way they're consuming is absolutely problematic and not good, but it hasn't progressed to an addiction where there's a loss of control. I see, okay, big. It's an odd a, outlier, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a bad hump to go over. Yes, oh yes, <laughs> yes it is, it is. Thank you so much uh, for being here. You are such a wealth of information. Uh, and I know you will continue to have great success and I would recommend anyone in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who needs individual counseling or substance abuse assessment, please look up Dr. Kevin Gilliland. We will have his uh, contact information on the screen so you can find him. And that is the show for today. That's a wrap. <laughs>